Welcome to the May 16th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and the sermon is entitled, The Value of Today, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. As we back up a little bit, uh, catching where we are, I want you to remember back in John chapter 9, Jesus had recently healed a man who was born blind. He had not seen the light of day the entirety of his life, and yet as he sat begging one day, Jesus came by, and he formulated a poultice of spit and dirt, Jesus spitting into the dirt of the ground and mixing it and putting that mixture on his eyes. But not only did he do that, he also said, now, I want you to go to wash in the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam was not next door to where this man was, but rather as a blind man with this poultice of mud on his eyes, he had to make his way through the city and outside of a city gate to get to the pool of Siloam. So in other words, what I'm saying to you is not only did Jesus anoint him, but he also asked him to do something in obedience. And so the man obeyed the word of Jesus, went to the pool of Siloam, and came back seeing. It was a miracle But I want you to remember that there was an act of obedience in the miracle itself as he went to the pool to wash. But through that miracle, many people came to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Many came to fall in love with him as the Lord. I'm so thankful for those words as we see them in the Bible. And yet, there was a contingent of religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, who hated Jesus. He had pointed them out as phonies, as fakes, as false teachers. These were the primary teachers of God's Word in the temple. And yet Jesus pointed them out as phonies because though they taught the Word of God, the God of the Word did not resign in their heart. And so they were false in that they did not know the God whose Word they were teaching. And Jesus called them on it, and they hated Him for it. In fact, they hated him so much, they wanted him dead. They wanted to plan some plan of murder for him to get him off of the face of the earth. So here's the scenario. At this point in the gospel, Jesus' ministry is in overdrive. People are following him at every step, listening to his words, but there's a death sentence over his head. And Jesus is on a holy time schedule. He will not leave this earth one second before God the Father wills it so. And yet, he is careful where he goes because of the death sentence over him. Listen, no human life has ever been more deeply loved and more deeply hated at the same time than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The group of Jesus haters were centralized in Jerusalem. And yet, as we open chapter 12 today, Jesus is getting closer and closer to the city of Jerusalem. He's not there yet, but he's coming, and he's going to enter into the city very soon. But just five miles out was a little town called Bethany. It's the home of two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I want us to get a time frame here as we see Jesus coming into the town of Bethany. When is this in relation to the cross? Look at the first verse of chapter 12, the Gospel of John. The first part of the first verse says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. 
So Jesus is coming back to Bethany six days before the Jewish Passover is going to be celebrated in Jerusalem. The Passover is held on Thursday. So six days before would be a Friday. As Jesus enters this little town of Bethany, the cross and his crucifixion is exactly one week away. In one week, he will face the cross of Calvary. With his death so imminent, Jesus made sure that every minute counted, that every opportunity for ministry was taken, that every person who needed a touch would be touched. He would reach out to every person who would come his direction because the time was getting so short and the cross was a bare week away. So let's read this event that happens, John chapter 12. Let's go verses 1 through 11 today. Hear these words from the gospel writer, inspired by the very Spirit of God. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me Ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of this very precious portion of his word this morning. Jesus comes back to the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He comes back to Bethany. His disciples are with him. A supper has been prepared for the family, for Jesus and the disciples. And we see a pretty amazing setup here. Amazing in that we would expect some of this to happen. Martha, in her usual form was the one who was serving. That was the way she was wired by God. She was a servant from the get-go. She was the one, when people sat at the table, she was the natural one who was going to be bringing the dishes of food to the table, making sure everyone had the silverware and everyone had a comfortable place. That was her. Martha was the servant. Mary was in her usual place. She was at the feet of Jesus. I remind you, as I said last week, in every picture that we see of Mary, this Mary in the Gospels, she is always at the feet of Jesus. That's an amazing thought 
that every time we see Sister Mary, she's at Jesus' feet. And then at the table, sitting very much alive, was the man who had formerly been dead for four days and buried. Of course, that was Brother Lazarus. The living Lazarus was Jesus' greatest earthly miracle, his greatest credential of being God Almighty who had power and authority over death and the grave and that Jesus himself raised Lazarus after four days of death. Decomposition had already started in on the body and yet Jesus overrode it all and Lazarus walked from his tomb. The greatest credential that Jesus is God is when Lazarus came out of that tomb in his grave clothes. I have to admit, as Lazarus was sitting at the table, wouldn't it be a little funny to sit beside a guy who'd been dead four days? What do you say to a man who had been dead four days? I just put myself beside him and think, what would I say? Uh, do you feel better? Uh, I missed you while you were gone. Oh. Uh, did you see some good sights while you were gone from us? Are you glad to be back? I'm glad to have you back, but are you glad? What an awkward moment that would be sitting beside a man who'd been gone for four days in a tomb. But there's a lot of thought of what, what really did happen to Lazarus in those four days. Well, there's a lot of theology written about where Lazarus was in the four days that his body laid in the tomb. This is a Mike Fitzgerald. This is what I believe. I believe that God took Lazarus exactly where he takes each one of us as believers. We go to paradise. Just as Jesus promised the thief on the cross, the moment you leave this earth, you will be today with me in paradise. I believe that is exactly where Lazarus went. However, upon entry to paradise, I also believe that God said to him, this is temporary, my son. Your stay here will be temporary, just four days. For now, you'll be back. But for now, your stay is four days, and you're going to go back because you will be one of the greatest witnesses to the power of my son in all of the world. And the world will recognize and remember your resurrection for not just a few months or years. They will remember it for generations and for centuries. And people will come to my son, Jesus Christ, because you will be resurrected from your grave. So you'll be here just in a temporary form for the moment, but you will be back. It's a once-in-a-history event, just like... Abraham was told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. It was a once-in-history event. Just as Moses talked to God at the burning bush, it was a once-in-history event. Lazarus being resurrected from the grave and going to paradise for four days and returning back by the power of Jesus Christ, it was a once-in-history event that speaks of the witness of a living, loving God. But don't forget this, according to chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Lazarus being alive was a huge problem for the Jesus haters there. The scribes and the Pharisees did not want a living Lazarus sitting at the table as a testimony to the power of God. The living Lazarus made Jesus look good. They hated him. They did not want him to look good. They wanted to murder him. And so Lazarus was a problem because he bore forth the credential that Jesus indeed is the Son of God with the power of God. And so the religious leaders, the haters wanted Jesus and Lazarus dead. Both men 
were under the threat of immediate death if they were caught at the right place at the wrong moment. I want you to note this as well. It's important. In the Bible, Lazarus is never recorded as speaking a word. You will not find any statement from the mouth of Lazarus in your Bible. That's important. He is a witness simply because Jesus worked the miracle of life in him. Amen? He was a witness as he walked the streets, as he sat at the table. He was a witness that the living Son of God worked a work, a miracle of life in him. He didn't have to say a thing because he was witnessing just by walking on the street. But friends, I want to move that now 2,000 years because you and I are witnesses as well because if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has worked a, worked a miracle of life in us too. And when we walk on the streets, we are witnesses too of the life that only Jesus Christ can give. The resurrection to new life, to eternity, to being a son or a daughter of God. Yes, I believe that you and I will be given opportunity that we might speak a word for Jesus, but our simply witnessing him as we walk in the public is a witness to life, the miracle that Jesus has created in us as well. Because of Jesus' ministry and miracles, we know that we have life too. Well, in the midst of the guests and the onlookers here in this scene, Sister Mary becomes the central figure. The camera focuses on Mary. At the feet of Jesus, she expresses her love for him by anointing him. Let me point out that in Luke chapter 7, we read about a woman who anoints Jesus bringing an alabaster box of perfume. If there's one thing that kind of connects us to that story, it's the word alabaster box. But it's not the same woman. The woman in Luke chapter 7 was called a sinner. Most of the time when a woman was called a sinner, it meant that she had some form of sexual sin in her life. Most likely she was a prostitute, a woman of the night. And yet she came anointing Jesus as well, with the perfume from an alabaster box, a sinner, because he had forgiven her. He had given her life. He had given her a new purpose. He had forgiven her past and given her a new future. But in John chapter 12, we see a different woman, Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany was a woman of virtue. We don't know of any major downfall in her life. But she too was thankful for her own forgiveness. Friends, let me say this to you. In comparing those two stories from Luke 7 and John 12, these women were of very different backgrounds, and yet both of them said, Lord, thank you that you forgave me. No matter who you are, where you've been, or where you're from, or where you're going, or what depth of sin has been in your past, every one of us needs forgiveness. And we have no right to point toward anybody else and say, your sin is worse than my sin. But rather, the woman with the alabaster box and Mary the sister, both of them equally thanking Jesus that he had forgiven them of their sin. So here in John chapter 12, Mary breaks open a container of expensive perfume called spikenard. 
The Bible says it's very costly, about a year's wages for a laborer. Let me just add this. We, most of us, have some form of a savings account. And in these days, we get little piddly bits of interest on our savings accounts. Well, a person in Jesus' day would save up their money, and they would buy this expensive perfume, which would only get greater in value as the days went by, and it would be their savings account. Someone would save up a great deal of money, buy the perfume, put it in storage as a savings account that one day when they sold it, they would have much more money than they put into it. That was why Mary had this perfume initially. More than a year's worth of wages for a laborer. Very costly. It was called spikenard. And she anoints Jesus' feet not with a portion of the perfume, but she lavishly pours it all out upon him so that the house is filled with the smell of that beautiful perfume that she had put out onto the ground over Jesus' feet. She anointed Jesus with all that she had physically in her life. She gave him all of her savings account. She didn't use something cheap. She didn't choose something that was of greater or lesser value and pour it on Jesus' feet, keeping the greater value for herself. She gave the greatest thing she had to the Savior of her life, Jesus. She gave to Him what cost her the most. What an act of love. But I want you to notice this in verse 3. Not only does she pour the most valuable physical thing that she has acquired in life over his feet, but she also wipes his feet with her hair. Now, all of us would say, well, that's a rather extreme move for a woman to take the length of her hair and to wipe the feet of Jesus from the oil of the perfume that she poured on. What a mess that would have made of her hair. She probably had a hard time cleaning it up. And we know today that hair in our culture is very important to us. Uh, color it, curl it, whatever you do. Some of us lose it. I won't mention Pastor Clyde, but that is just the case in some things. But in the Jewish culture, hair was of deeper value than the value we give it today. Women in the Jewish culture always kept their long hair tressed up. The only time a Jewish woman would let her hair down is in the privacy of her home or in the privacy with her husband. But a Jewish woman never let the length of her hair down in public. It just was not done. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15 says that a woman's hair is her covering and it is her glory. So what I want you to see here, what I want you to hear in these verses is this. Mary did not just pour the most expensive item that she had in her life on Jesus' feet, but then she publicly wiped his feet with her glory. She publicly wiped his feet with her crown, with the most valuable bodily thing she had, her hair. The Scripture says that the house is filled with the sweet smell. And I imagine, too, it's also filled with the amazing witness of this woman kneeling at Jesus' feet who wiped His feet with her glory. 
with her crown. I think those words are symbolic that you and I are also to give sacrificially to the Lord. Nothing's changed in the way that we're to love Him and serve Him, represent Him over 2,000 years. We are not supposed to give Him our leftovers. If we're going to give Him anything, we give Him our best. We don't give Him that thing that we don't want and keep the best for ourselves. But rather we give the Lord our very best, just as Mary did. But at this moment of blessing... This moment where people in this house were literally probably speechless watching her pour her life savings over his feet and wipe his feet with her crown. And then something negative comes up. Here's a moment of blessing and criticism arises. A disciple, Judas Iscariot, speaks up. And by the way, this is the first recorded statement of Judas Iscariot in the Bible. He's the treasurer of the disciple group. And when Judas Iscariot speaks up, he says, Wait, Lord, don't you think it would have been wiser to have taken this perfume and sold it out on the street so that we could have given the money to poor people rather than wasting it on your feet? Shouldn't we have done something more productive with the perfume rather than pouring it over your feet and onto the ground by cashing it in and giving the money away? And, and evidently, the other disciples are maybe nodding in agreement with him. No voice rises up from the disciple group to say, wait a minute, look what Mary did. But Jesus does rise up. And he said, poor people will always be with us. People in need will always surround us. But my time is very limited now. The disciples had no idea. Jesus knew. They had no idea. But he said, my time is very limited. I will not always be here. And Mary has done the godly and the blessed and the honoring and the praiseworthy thing right here, right now. Nothing else can replace giving the Savior your honor, your crown. And that act should guide us today in all that we do in life. You know, I think of this moment, and as I read through the Scripture and reread it and pondered it over it and, and thought about it, none of the disciples, including John, the, the, the writer of this gospel, none of them spoke up. None of them really knew the intent of Judas Iscariot's heart. What he said kind of made sense in the moment. Don't you think another group could have benefited more? But John had had 50 years to think this over. Remember, after this act of ministry and through the crucifixion and the resurrection, it was about 50 years before he wrote this gospel. So this scene had percolated under the inspiration of God in his mind for all of these decades. He thought about Judas Iscariot and he thought about Mary. When he wrote this gospel, he said, now I know, now I understand. Judas was just a common thief. He didn't care about poor people. All he wanted to do was cash it in, put it in his money bag, and then he would steal out of it. 
He wanted it for his own good. He was a lost man, and we didn't know it that day. Maybe somewhere between those lines, John was also saying, I wish I had defended Mary. I wish I had been the one disciple who had stood up for her. But Jesus rose up to say, leave her alone. She has kept this perfume for the day of my burial. And she has anointed me with it. No one but Jesus knew it was a week away. You know, a number of people in the Gospels are given credit for coming to the tomb after Jesus died on the cross with spices to anoint the body. There are a number who came to the tomb wanting to anoint the body of Jesus after the cross. But Mary of Bethany anointed him before the cross. The only one who did. And she gave him her best in a very beautiful moment recorded in John chapter 12. You know, years ago, I remember an old bluegrass song. Interesting that we did some bluegrass today. I remember an old bluegrass song. I had to Google it. It had been 40 or more years since I'd heard it. But there was a a song that was recorded by Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs. And here's the chorus of the song. Won't you give me my flowers while I'm living? Let me enjoy them while I can. Please don't wait till I'm ready to be buried and then slip some lilies in my hand. He said, give me my flowers now. That's what Mary did. She gave Jesus his anointing at the perfect moment as she sat at his feet. Friends, don't wait to some future day to give your best to Jesus. That's that's the whole sermon in a nutshell. Mary took this opportunity to give her best to Jesus, and he recognized it for all eternity. We need to give our best to him now. Friends, don't wait. If you're a teenager, start giving him your best now. Start honoring him with your thoughts, with your life, with the way you conduct yourself in public and private. Don't say, I'm going to give my best to Jesus when I grow up. Start now. Parents, teach your children to start now. If you're a young couple, don't wait to start church and start worship one day out there someday. Start now. Give the best to the Lord in your young marriage right now. Make it an offering to Him. If you are a young, busy parent, give your best to Jesus now. Don't wait to get your children involved in church till they're six or eight years old. It's too late. Start them at the foundation of their life and begin building that foundation of the love of Jesus Christ from birth forward in your home and through fellowship with the church. Start now. Do it now. Build your children's life in Christ now. The world is going to need those men and women of God in a day to come. Don't lose the opportunity to build their lives in Christ today, right now. If you're in those middle or later years where I am, don't wait another day longer to honor the Savior. Give your best to Him right now. And 
this past year has been hard on all of us. And I, I say this non-critically, and I mean it with all my heart. I'm so glad, I'm so grateful to see the church coming back to life. I, we will keep streaming from this point forth and forevermore till Jesus comes. Because I believe that we're reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. But when you have opportunity to be physically with the family of God, you come. If you've gotten out of that routine and now you're comfortable enough that you feel you could come, I read a statement that says, the more you miss church, the less you miss church. So come back. When you feel ready, when you feel that you're in the safety zone, you come back. Be with the family of the living Lord Jesus Christ. You come in the way that you need to come. I think we'll start releasing some more of these pews, but we're going to keep a section of pews. If you still want social distance, you'll have a spot here. Come back. We'll make a place. We want you in the family of the Lord when you're ready to do that. But, but by and large, none of us can say, Lord, I'm going to wait to another day to give you my best. Whatever phase, age you are in life, start now giving him your best, just like Mary did. Make a commitment to that brother, sister in Christ. Let's commit to giving him our very best from this day on forward to our days. Give him the best you have. Don't give him a leftover. Give him the best. Give him your crown. And if you've never come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, so many people in this world know the name, know the Savior, know they need a relationship with him, but they say, I'm going to wait one more day. I'm going to wait one more hour, one more worship service. I'm going to do it someday. But, friends, I want to be real with you. Hell will be full of people who said, I'll do it someday, and they never did. Now's the time. Today is the opportunity. This is the invitation. It's not my invitation. Praise God, he allows me to speak it. But this is the invitation that Jesus Christ himself gives. If you need me as Savior, I went to the cross for you. And I died with your sin on my shoulder. Your your name was on my heart. I died for the world, but I died for you individually. I died to take your sin away. And I rose from the grave to give you eternal life and to provide you a home in heaven. I'm waiting on you to come. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another minute. Today's the day. Now's the time. You come. Give him your best right now. If you're listening on the stream, you can give him your best in your living room or your kitchen or your car, or wherever you might be. Give him your life right now. Give him your best today. Church, let's continue, especially as the days are beginning to open up now, let's continue giving him our best as the church. Amen? Let's give him our best in ministry. And let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments in your house. Thank you for the bar that Mary sets for us, Lord giving Jesus the very best she had, not only of her material possessions, but also of her body, her crown, her glory. Father, today I pray that my brothers and sisters and myself, I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm joining here with the family of Christ to say, Lord, help us give you our best. Help us to make a commitment, Lord, that we're not going to put off giving you the best we have on a daily basis. We want to walk in the world, Lord, 
filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The miracle of life has already taken place in us. Help us to be a witness beginning now. Help us, Lord, to give that foundation of Jesus to our children, to our teenagers. Help us as families. Help us as the church to strive to bring up men and women of God. This world is going to desperately need them today and in days to come. Father, the church is not a a little pretend organization or club. It's the ministry arm of Jesus Christ. It's an outreach into a world that is lost and hell-bound. This is real in what we're doing. Establish in us, Lord, the desire to work in the fields of ministry today. Person who needs you as Savior, Lord, I pray he or she will come. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these coming very important moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.